Jesus takes an interesting approach in inspiring and motivating these disciples to go out and participate in the mission. He wants them to, to join, eh? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a funny little slogan. Come, be a part of what I'm doing. You see, I will send you out as lambs amongst wolves. If you're interested in an absolutely terrifying experience, come join my mission and what I'm doing in the world. What's going on, Jesus? I think there's several layers of meaning when when Jesus says this to these 70 or 72 people that he sends out. 71 disciples are sent out. And first thing Jesus says is the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people around us who are ready for some kind of awakening or some kind of life-transforming experience as a result of encountering the presence of God through another human being. So that's the first thing Jesus is saying. Second thing Jesus is saying is, even though the harvest is plentiful, there's so many people out there who are, are um, not only ready, but some of them longing for some kind of life-transforming experience. The laborers are few. So there's, there's not a lot of people who are willing to go out and be conduits for the presence of God to flow through into the lives of other people. There's just not enough people who are willing to, to be that. And then Jesus kind of gives us a hint why. Uh, because to be a part of that movement, to be a conduit for the Spirit of God to flow through our lives into the lives of other people, it's kind of like being like a, a not just a sheep, but, but a baby sheep, a, a vulnerable, uh, helpless, weak sheep surrounded by wolves. So there's a reason why there's a, a labor shortage, Right? And is Jesus trying to inspire people by saying, by the way, if this is your mission, if you should choose to accept it, um, it's going to be terrifying. I, I think the first thing Jesus is communicating is this is hard. If you want to be a part of my mission, this, this is, it's really difficult. It's, it will be terrifying. I like Jesus' honesty. He's very upfront. Right? Like he's, call, he's gathering people to be a part of his movement in the world. This is a very dynamic thing that Jesus is inviting the original disciples and us into. This isn't about, you know, joining a church and and, and so that you get some perks and benefits. Jesus is inviting us to be a part of a a movement, and and it will be terrifying. So that's the first layer of meaning. I'm going to hopefully unpack what Jesus might be communicating through this in the context of a different conversation that we've been having. And that conversation is this. How do we become uh, a church that is more outward-focused? How do we become a more outward-focused church? So this morning, I want to talk about four practical steps that we can take to become a more outward-focused church. And then in those four steps, hopefully it will become clear uh, some of the deeper levels and layers of meaning that Jesus is talking about in this passage in Luke 10. So the first practical step 
for us to become an outward-focused church is this. Be intentional about connecting with people who don't go to church. So that's step one. Be intentional about connecting with people who don't go to church. And I'm not talking about just people who don't go to this church. Right? You might be thinking, oh, I connect with people all the time. I mean, I go to a Bible study over at the Baptist church and a prayer meeting over. No, I'm talking about people who don't go to any church, people who do not share your beliefs, people who do not subscribe to the same worldview and faith as you do. This is challenging for many of us. Many Christians, if not most Christians, only hang out with other Christians. Our entire social networks are Christian. You know, some, some people call it the holy huddle. Everywhere we go, it's just the holy huddle. You know? So this, is, this, is a, this will be a challenge for some of us. But, it, but it's absolutely imperative. Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, which I would encourage you to do periodically, just read through the Gospels, you will notice that, that A, Jesus is sent into the world. So Jesus is our example. Jesus is sent into the world, and he's constantly sending his disciples into the world. And then, of course, we have the Great Commission, which is our mandate as well, to go into the world to make disciples. So we're constantly being sent to carry on the work of the sent one, who is the Son of God, Jesus Jesus does not say, go to every church activity and function available. Jesus says, go into the world to make disciples. So it's a bit of a shift in how we approach our faith. Let me put it this way. The next step in many of your spiritual journeys will be to stop going to so many Bible studies and prayer meetings. You with me? For, the, for a certain reason. <laughs> And that reason is so you can create more time and space in your life to actually connect with people who are not Christians, people who do not go to church. And that's all ages. That's not just, you know, people between the ages of 20 and 45. All of us are called to be intentionally connecting with people who don't go to church. So that's step one. I guess I should tell you how you can do that. Some of you may be thinking, I have no idea how I would... Well, here, here are some suggestions. I mean, one, you can, you can uh, join a gym. You can join a badminton club. You can join a book reading club in town. You can join, um, maybe volunteer at the local or some other organization in town that's doing some good stuff. You can join an environmentalist club. You can sign up with the Avon Trail group and go clean trails. You can join a bird watching club. You can, there, are, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of ways that you can uh, be a part of something that puts you in a place where you're rubbing shoulders with people who don't have the same faith as you. I mean, just go hang out at a coffee shop downtown once or twice a week regularly. Like, there's just so many different ways you can do this, and it's absolutely imperative if you want to follow the way of Jesus that you do this. Okay, so step one is connect with people who don't go to church. Could you humor me, and just, to, just so I know that you know what step one is? That doesn't mean you agree, or that you are committing yourself to doing this, I just, just so that I can sleep tonight, that I know that I have clearly communicated step one. 
Step one is to connect with people who don't go to church. Would you humor me and just say that? Step one. Thank you. You've given me a great gift, peace of mind. <laughs> Step two. Step two. It gets a bit more complicated, but hopefully it, the meaning will become clear as I continue to spout words from my face. <laughs> that doesn't always happen, but... Step two is to see the potential for mutual transformation in all connections. So you, you, step one is you connecting with, with people who don't go to church. Step two is to, to, to basically change the way you look at those connections. Like the first, depending you know, what kind of state of being we are approaching other human beings, you know, if we're in an ego state or whatever state we might be in, sometimes we approach people from the perspective of um, our, our boxes that we put people in, Right? Okay, this person's successful, this person's not successful, or this person's you know, attractive, this person's not. Whatever box that you have that you put people in. So that's one way that we can approach people. Another way might be, what can I get out of this? You know, if I start hanging out with what can I get out of this relationship? But there's many different boxes that, that we put people in. So what step two is, is doing is really just reframing the way we approach people. So step two is to, to view other people in terms of the potential for mutual transformation by connecting with them. Now, what's interesting about this is, and I was going to use the word discipleship, but it's, it's funny how many words cause us to react, right? Like some of you, if I, if, if I instead of saying mutual transformation, I had said uh, to see the potential for discipleship in every connection you make. Some of you would, you know, wait, 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 where are you? okay. And I, so I, I just want to invite everyone to calm down and breathe and not react. Don't react to words. Just, just try and stay present with God and, and in this space and hopefully be open to, to something that can help you take the next step in, in your faith development. Okay? That's, that's all this is about, really. Discipleship relationships are about mutual transformation. So when we go back to that story in Luke chapter 10... Jesus sends these 71 disciples out to engage and connect with people who don't share their belief system, who don't share their faith. And Jesus does this for for a multitude of reasons, but one of the reasons is this, so that they will be transformed. If you keep on reading the story, they... Later on, they come back after this adventure and they are blown away by what God has done through them. That's another layer of meaning when Jesus says, I'm sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. Jesus is saying, what I'm asking you to do, you can't do. You're in way over your head. You're out of your league. They're going to eat you alive. He's basically saying, I'm sending you out and you're not ready. That's interesting. And they weren't ready. I mean, this is the thing. They, they had not been, been trained probably nearly as much as you have in understanding the kingdom of God. Most of you are far more prepared for service in the kingdom of God, at least as far as 
understanding. Maybe, maybe you don't have as willing of a spirit. I don't know. I can't. But, but you have probably more information, more understanding regarding Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God than, and how the spirit of God works in the world than any of these 71 people did. And Jesus is saying that you're not ready and I'm not going to take a lot of time to prepare you. I'm just going to send you out because it's in these interactions with people who, who are going to be threatening to you. People who, it's going to be scary, these interactions. It's through those connections that you are going to grow and be transformed. Many of us reach a point in our faith development where we plateau. I could probably look around in, in you know, your eyes and see which ones have plateaued and which ones haven't, but I won't. I'll just look above you for a little bit until we get under the next point. Because we've all been there. And some, some of you have just sort of accepted that that's what the Christian life is. It's just one long plateau. <laughs> it's not. Amen. Now, there are, there are seasons of, wow, okay, it, it, even seasons where we're taking steps backwards or we're, we're hitting valleys, whatever. But there's always a next step. And for many of us, this next step is to go and develop connections and relationships with people who don't share our faith. And the reason many of us don't do that is because we're, I'm, not, I'm not ready to do that. <laughs> of course you're not ready. None of us are ready. That's kind of like, I don't remember Tammy and I having the conversation, you know what, we're ready to have kids. <laughs> no one's ready to have kids. You have kids and then you realize how unready you are. And it's the same with this. Of course you're not ready to go out and minister to other people. You're you're never really ready for that. Who do you think you are that you're ready to be going around ministering to other people? In fact, it's your awareness that you're not ready. That's why Jesus says this. By the way, if you think I'm sending you out there because you are super sheep who can actually take down wolves, no. I just need to remind you that you are a weak little lamb. You can barely walk. Because the whole point of going out there is, is you, you experience something that just absolutely blows your mind. This, you, you become aware of how much the Spirit of God can accomplish through you. That's a tremendous feeling, tremendous experience. When, when you actually experience the Spirit of God doing something through you. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing like it. I mean, I'll talk later on about that. Let's stay, stay with where we are. Step two is to view all these connections, to see the potential for mutual transformation. What Jesus is, is saying to those 71 disciples and to us is that in order for us to grow spiritually, we need to have relationships with people who aren't Christians. Okay? Like, we need these interactions as much as they need us to be interacting with them. Now, some Christians have taken that message and gone to the other extreme. So they, they approach everyone else as if they have something to teach us, but we have nothing to offer them. So we, we want to develop relationships with Muslims and and uh, New Age mystics and agnostics and atheists, 
Because we have so much to learn from them, but we have nothing to offer. And, and, and the reasons for that are complex. But I think an underlying feeling is that it's being humble. When it's not being humble, it's actually hoarding. <laughs> like, th- think, about, think about all your experiences in life. I mean, some of you have been pursuing God's will for your life for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You haven't learned a thing or two through those years? Think of the experiences you've had with God. Think of the connection you have with God right now. You don't have anything to offer other people? That's insane. It's not only insane, it's selfish. It's hoarding. Those, those, the wisdom and insight and the, the connection with God that you have is treasure. Treasure that some people are looking for. So you, you need to, yes, you need to approach with the realization that I can learn from everyone. I personally have not met a human being that I cannot learn from. Now, I've met a few people that I've discovered I can only learn one thing from, but <laughs> not looking at anyone. I think the reality is we can learn more from some people than others. I mean, I haven't asked everyone I've ever met to be my mentor. That's a handful of people, right? But back to the point, we can learn from everyone, but the reverse is true. We have something to teach every other person. Don't do that false humility thing. What you're doing is hoarding your treasure. You have something to offer. You have something to share. You have something to give. Okay, so that's... That's point two, with a lot of nuances that may or may not have been helpful or important. Step one, connect with people who don't go to church. Step two, see the potential in every one of those connections for mutual transformation. Step three, practice the presence. Do what the Spirit prompts you to do. I will just kind of recap what practice the presence means. It means to simply be fully present in the moment, to be fully present with the presence of God in this moment, and to be fully present with the person or the people I am with. So when you practice the presence, and it's called practice for a reason, you're going to mess up, you're going to make mistakes for your entire life. But as you practice this, you will get better. I've gotten better. I mean, we have to be careful that we, we don't overinflate how good we've gotten. <laughs> that happens from time to time. Uh, but, but I'm definitely more aware of, of when I'm reacting. As we grow and as we practice, we, we tend to get better. One of the areas that I've gotten better is being able to discern what is actually a spirit prompting, and what is just a random thought that might be coming from my ego or my fear, whatever. But the point is to practice the presence and do what the spirit prompts you to do. So let me bring this all together into a, a concrete example. So say you, you're, you're actually going to, you're actually going to take a risk and do these four steps. So you decide to go out, okay, I want, I want to connect with People who don't go to church, I'm going to join a bird watching group. So you go out, 
and you join a bird watching group. Let's give this person a hand for actually doing something. Right on. So you're jo- you've joined a bird watching group. I celebrate that. And so you're, you're, every Saturday you get together with like 10 other people and you go bird watching. That's awesome. And so then step number two is you, you're, you're viewing all the connections with these people as having the potential to be mutually transforming. So you're just kind of open. You're kind of anticipating, expecting mutual transformation as you interact with these 10 people, as you're watching birds. And then step three, you, as you get together Saturday morning to go watch birds, you, you're practicing the presence. And what, what a beautiful place to be practicing the presence, out in the trees, looking at birds. I'm assuming you're not at Walmart parking lot looking at birds. I'm assuming you're out in nature. What, a, what an amazing opportunity for you to practice the presence. Just be present with God, present with the birds and the, and the trees, and to be present with the people you're with. And you're just going to do what the Spirit prompts you to do. And maybe this is new to you, so you're, you're not sure, but you're, just, you're willing to take a risk. And just, you know what? If I feel maybe the Spirit of God, because that's, that's where we're all at. None of us have certainty as far as Spirit promptings go. As soon as I'm like, that for sure is the Spirit of God telling me to do this, that's when I run to my mentors and consult with them. Certainty is, is not the enemy of faith, but it, it always needs to be dealt with in consultation with, with people who are also connected to spirit. That's my personal opinion. If a thought or, or a feeling or something comes to mind as you're, say, you're walking down the hiking path with Harry, and maybe Harry's opening up to you, one of your bird-watching friends, and, and Harry starts saying, yeah, man, I... Yeah, my kids aren't really talking to me, you know. That's and, uh, and they just start unburdening. They start opening some struggles they're having in life, and all of a sudden, this what might be a prompting of the spirit. Just you should offer to pray for Harry. Now you're not the kind of person who just prays for every Tom, Dick, and Harry, right? <laughs> and so immediately you you say, God, I. That, that can't be God. I, I'm, I'm not ready. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of guy. I don't even know how to pray with my own family, let alone with a complete stranger. So you, but, but something inside you remembers this sermon, and, and you're like, maybe it is a prompting of the Spirit. Oh. And in that moment, you, you feel like a helpless lamb surrounded by wolves. And the wolves... The wolves aren't people. The wolves are all those things that you fear the most. Rejection, humiliation, falling flat on your face. Those are the wolves. And in that moment, you're trembling like a, a little, weak, helpless lamb surrounded by all these things that terrify you. And in that moment, you remember this message and wait, wait, Jesus wants me to feel this. Jesus actually intentionally sent me out to have this experience. Here I am terrified to pray with Harry. Maybe that's exactly what I need to do. So you decide in that moment to just do it, to take a risk. And you say, Harry, I I don't normally do this. We often say that, right? I don't normally do it, but I just, I don't know. I have this, I have this sense maybe I'm supposed to pray for you. And then a couple of different things could happen. The first thing that could happen is, is, you know, Harry starts to cry a little bit and says, I would really love that. 
And then you do your best and you kind of stumble. And then all of a sudden as you start praying for Harry, you feel feel something you haven't felt before. You feel the power and the presence of God start to flow through you and into the, the, the life of Harry. And, and as a result, to make a long story short, Harry experiences some kind of transformation. This isn't some crazy story. I mean, these things happen. <laughs> these things have happened to me. Where I felt the actual power. I'm not a good prayer. You've heard me pray. I'm not, it's not my gift. We all have different gifts. My gift is to awkwardly pray and stumble through it, and it humbles me to know that, wow, if I'm going to preach a sermon, I can't even pray. If I'm going to preach, I really need you here. I'm not a great prayer, but there have been moments in my life where I just feel the Spirit of God flowing through me in such a profound way, and I still might be stumbling through the prayers. It's not as if my prayer all of a sudden becomes eloquent. I'm still doing my hokey prayer like in, and you know, using philosophical terms. It's confusing, Harry, but something deeper is happening. Something deeper is happening. The Spirit of God's flowing through my being into, into Harry. And his, he experiences healing. He experiences transformation. Something happens. It's amazing. That's the kind of life you want to be a part of. I'm convinced of it. Even if you're not. That's one thing that could happen. The other thing that could happen is, is Harry looks at you. <laughs> Pray for me? Uh, no, no, I'm okay. And then Harry quickly walks away and joins Sheila, who's up here. And for the rest of your bird-watching experience, Harry can't look you in the eye. And slowly you see other people start to look at you a little weird. Well, that's a, don't, don't, hide, don't, don't bird-watch with Troy. He's going to offer to pray for you. He's a weirdo. That's the other thing that can happen. And in that moment, when Harry looks at you with those eyes, you, you, all, your, all the wolves are now biting you. You feel the teeth of everything that you were terrified. You know, you were scared that he was going to reject you. You were terrified that you were going to look like an idiot. And now, it has happened. And in that moment, you have a decision. You can decide to do what many of us would do. Uh, My version is this. I go into my mind, and I just get sucked into this vortex of self-doubt and questioning. Why did I do that? Was that even the Spirit of God who prompted me to do that? I'm such an idiot. Why do I do stuff like this? And I just get sucked into this vortex of, of, of doubt and shame and, and, and all, all sorts of other things, and sometimes it takes me months to come out of that. That's one thing. That's one option. It's not what I would recommend, personally. <laughs> the other option is this. I can immediately practice the presence again. And when I do that, and I, and I wish I didn't have as many of these experiences as I've had, but I've had a number of, of what I will call perceived failures. Because there's no real failures, there's only feedback, right? But a perceived failure, where I fall flat on my face. Man, I have a lot of these moments. Not only in life, but also in my spiritual life. And in that moment, I just practice the presence, and I say, God, I don't know if you prompted me to offer to pray for Harry or not, it doesn't matter. You know, I come back to that farther along song. You know, maybe I'll understand it, maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. It's, it's water under the... It's happened. Harry thinks I'm a freak. Here I am. Spirit of God, help me to learn and grow. Right here, right now. And as I've done that in certain experiences of failure, humiliation 
terror. I can think of one particular experience where in that moment, I just, I just accepted. I'm humiliated. I failed. I feel like a complete idiot. Other people think I'm a complete idiot. So there's a lot. It's going around. <laughs> and in that moment, I see all those wolves, all those things I'm so terrified of, rejection, humiliation, reputation, all that stuff. I realize I don't need to be afraid of any of them. It's an incredible epiphany. Who cares? And in that moment, I kind of remember that people said all sorts of things about Jesus. People called him all sorts of things. I mean, he... In that moment, I'm no longer a weak little lamb surrounded by wolves. In that moment, I am filled with the omnipotent power of God and I feel absolutely invincible. Because all the giants, all the things that I have been terrified of now have no teeth. The wolves become like little squirrels. Like, I've been afraid of these things? I've been afraid of rejection. I've been afraid of humiliation. Who cares? In fact, I'm befriending the wolves because they can help me grow. And in that moment, I see these things that I've been so afraid of and I'm no longer afraid of them. And I understand when Paul says, when I'm in the zone, when I'm, when I'm really connected to Christ, I'm more than a conqueror. Like, Think of the most powerful warrior in the world. And and Paul is like, that doesn't even compare to the the kind of power that you are in touch with when you are fully in tune with the Spirit of Christ. And in that moment, I am just, I'm, I'm on top of the world. Nothing can touch me. And through that experience of perceived failure, I have been transformed. Right now, I am out of time. So I will stop with this. You put yourself out there, and you're probably going to fail. I mean, there's a reason you are terrified to do certain things. There's a reason you're terrified to offer to pray for people like Harry. Because it will conf- it, you will have to face the things that you fear the most, things like rejection and humiliation. But if you practice the presence in those moments, you... It's the ultimate freedom. It's the ultimate freedom. You've never tasted freedom like the freedom to to not be afraid anymore. We're all far more afraid than we let on. Oh, we're such fearful people. We're so fearful. And just really quickly, I won't explain what it is, but step four is to invest in the connections that turn out to be mutually transforming relationships. Not all the connections will be. To be honest with you, many of us have relationships that we're not helping the other person transform and they're not helping us be transformed. You know, at some point, there's a shelf life with relationships. That doesn't mean at some point we might not you know, re-engage in that relationship. Now, if you're married to these people, if they're your kids, you know, it gets complicated, right? I'm sorry, uh, daughter, you're just not really helping me grow anymore, so we're going to have to re- No. You know, it's complex, yes. But I'm telling you, invest. Invest in the relationships that are mutually transforming. Because then you're, you're, you're walking 
in, in a relational dynamic where you're growing and others are growing, and it's just this it, momentum of growth. It's a beautiful thing. Okay.